0: Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Kristen Eichhammer. All right, so the Barbie movie is coming out this weekend. Kristen, there's already a lot of controversy around this movie. Are you still down to go see it?
1: Oh, yeah, we're going to go see this movie. I'm not exactly sure when, but we are going to see it. Um, (laughs) We need to judge for ourselves. Yes, we will report back. Like you guys probably heard one or two weeks ago, we talked about just the craziness that is the plot of the movie and how they're trying to kind of reinvigorate feminism with Barbie which you know cool i guess hollywood hasn't thought of any new things yet but mm-hmm. i'm still excited to see it i know well and i i am i'm
0: leery because i've heard rumors that there's a transgender oh um character in it so i i'm honestly going in to see it not hopeful and mm. i think a little bit guarded but i do feel like i want to see it for myself yeah i want to see if it is it super far left? Are they really pushing an agenda? Um, there's been wild controversy over a map in the movie that has gotten the film uh, banned in a- an Asian country. So Ooh.
1: we're
0: gonna we're gonna be tracking with this movie, and we will certainly keep you all posted and let you know if we think it's worth watching it yeah maybe yeah. we'll do like a live reaction after the movie actually, that's a great idea we're gonna do yeah. that we're gonna do that all right well kristen we
1: have a full show plan today go ahead and let us know what we have queued up up on today's problematic women we explain what a military spending bill known as the ndaa is and what abortion has to do with it plus a u.s state is considering eliminating the religious exemptions for vaccines for kids at public and private schools And Health Admiral Rachel Levine says youth should not have to go through the wrong puberty. We have some comments about that. And we end the show today with another hot take.
0: Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find those stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning Or
1: problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference.
0: All right, let's get to it.
1: Okay, so what's over 4,000 pages long, costs more than $800 billion, and has three amendments per member of Congress? Oh my word. So to put that in perspective, that's 15,000 comments, and that would be this year's NDAA. Whew. <laughs> That's right. The House passed this bill last week, authorizing funding levels for the U.S. military after combing through over 1,500 amendments. Mm. And to put that in perspective, that's more than Lee Mis, which, hmm. if you've bought the book, is ginormous. Wow. Okay. It's huge. Yep. <laughs> um, but for those unfamiliar, uh, the NDAA has passed consecutively for the last six decades. It's pretty much the bill that doesn't fail. Think of it like the Titanic, my friend. Um, uh, no. <laughs> <it> does <laughs> Not supposed to say. It's not supposed to say, but it is a bit now. But it's always risky. Last year, actually saw a lot of amendments. Um, and that's kind of the thing is a, a lot of members of Congress will push pet projects through these amendments um, to kind of get some of the things that they want off of their plate so that they can, you know, uphold some campaign promises. But this isn't new. Uh, this happens every year. The amendments that We see are as crazy as making sure that the flowers on every base are American native, which, I mean, makes sense. Cool. But why is that military defense spending? Mm -hmm. And the big issue here is that defense spending is really ambiguous. So we can make it what we want it to be. This year, some of the major amendments that were wins for us is that the NDAA prohibited the Pentagon from spending tax dollars to pay for the travel or actual abortions and their related expenses. That was a major win. Another was Representative Rosendell; He introduced an amendment prohibiting the funding of transgender medical procedures. This has actually caused Democrats to stand up for military defense spending, something that doesn't happen very much in Washington, Mm. D.C., but, I mean, hey, is exciting nonetheless. We'll take it, right? (laughs) Yeah, we'll take it. I mean, it's because they want, you know, your tax dollars to pay for transgender surgeries and abortions because previously abortions have been banned from military sites and hospitals. So they're now paying for members of the, the military service to go have those done and paying for the travel expenses. These are some major wins for us because obviously we shouldn't be spending tax dollars on that. But, um, I mean, I'm excited. This is this looks really great. There's obviously room for improvement, but it looks really great.
0: Yeah. You know, I think the big question here is what is going to happen when this goes over to the Senate. Mm-hmm. And so we saw that, yes, the House passed it. And the the major fight here has been Senator Tommy Tuberville saying that he is not going to approve these promotions within the military because they've been trying to push this spending for abortion-related travel costs in the NDAA. So essentially what, what Democrats have been trying to do is say, you know, for anyone in the military who has to travel out of state to get an abortion, we'll cover your travel costs, your hotel, in order to have that abortion. Well, of course, so many Republicans said no that's not okay we're not all right with that and senator tommy tuberville has really been on the forefront of holding the line and saying yeah we're not approving this until uh, until we take that measure out so that's a major deal that's what so much of the fight has been around the question is the f- the very final version of this are we going to get a version that is clean and doesn't have a ton of extra fluff. Yeah.
1: And I think that I actually got off the phone yesterday late last night with one of my friends who is on the Hill. And she was explaining that that's the, the biggest issue here is they worked incredibly hard to ensure that this not funding of abortion and not funding of trans medical procedures were included in the House bill. But For those who maybe aren't super familiar, you know, House Armed Service Committee will introduce a bill and then the Senate's Armed Service Committee will introduce a bill two sides of the House and Senate will then negotiate. They'll open it up to include amendments. That's kind of one of the really cool things. And that's why it's important who the Speaker of the House is, mm. because when McCarthy's reign began here, they introduced this new concept called open rule, which means that anyone, not just the House Armed Service Committee, could introduce and file amendments that then would be reviewed by the Rules Committee. And that's where this combing process of making sure you know it was relevant, it wasn't a poison pill, it wasn't just you know random amendments that had nothing to do with defense spending and then they reintroduced that to the house floor to then be voted on and so that happened last week where they voted and approved it on the house but now we are going to the senate side we're going to see what amendments they're able to hash out obviously it's democrat led so the likeliness for abortion and trans amendments to be included and voted on the final version of this bill are less likely however you know the the exciting part about the house and the senate and how again they they play a role in our everyday laws is they have to pass the final version of this bill by committee. So the conference committee will then meet so that's members of the senate members of the house to negotiate the final version of this bill which may, you know, they've picked some big fighters on the republican side of the house. They've picked some really big fighters who stand for, you know, pro-life pro kids types of uh, policies. And so we very well may see that we do have some version of this abortion and trans amendment in mm. the final version of the bill. Mm.
0: Well, and I I think it's so helpful to talk about this because while, while it feels a little bit wonky, I've been really fascinated that we haven't really heard much about this bill in previous years because, Kristen, like you said, it's usually passed Right through, there's not a ton of debate. It's just, okay, check, 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 check. Mm -hmm. It goes through because everyone knows whether they want to admit it or not on both sides of the aisle that we have to fund our military. That's actually very important. Uh, But this year, this controversy has drawn so much attention. And that is why I'm so excited that we have senior legal fellow Sarah Parshall perry here with us to talk a little bit more about it. Sarah, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, so what are your thoughts on the fact that we have a military spending bill that has now really entered this culture war space where we're having these big debates about, abortion and and even transgender issues within the military?
2: Yeah. Well, first, I applaud House Republicans for making sure that there were appropriations riders that got a lot of the spending that this administration has used to be able to sort of carrot and stick what needs to be done in the military. The NDAA is what's called a must pass bill, and a bill like that has to go through both chambers. It funds the entire operation of the military, including including the veterans administration they all fall under the exact same rubric for spending so house republicans went you know what this is a must pass we're going to make sure that a lot of the funding that's being sent through the military that isn't being directed toward what's called combat lethality mm-hmm. or military readiness, but is instead pushing a social agenda, mm-hmm. needs to be gutted. Now, are we going to see these riders remain in the Senate version? Well, that remains to be seen. It's highly unlikely that we're going to see all of these approach riders um, remain in the Senate version. So it's very possible that we'll see a lot of back and forth in iterations that we will need a lot of compromise on in the end.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's great that we um are making our military fight culture wars. <laughs> but what message are we sending to, you know, Russia, China and I mean even criminals here that are filtering through the, the like border? Right, <laughs> the border. right,
2: right. You know, it, it makes me um it really makes me fearful for what some of our international enemies view mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. us as in terms of a legitimate opponent in some of these particular spaces. You know, the United States has been sort of the shining city on a hill for the better part of two and a half centuries. But now we've got we've got nations like China who are directly adverse to the interests of freedom and the principles that we hold dear. And I can only imagine that Xi Jinping looks at us and goes, you know what? They're really not as tough as I thought they were <laughs> because the entire month of June, they're making sure that some of their military officers are walking around in high heels oh and they are watching drag shows on yes. military bases. What are we doing to train these individuals who have sacrificed so much mm-hmm. to be involved in our military to make sure that they are representing the strongest force necessary? And this is not a time for weakness no. based on what we're seeing in internationally this is a time for strength and we don't see it from this administration
1: have they tried to push social
2: issues like this in the in
1: the past i i don't know like how do we
2: get here um, well, I tell you what, Obama tried it first. Mm-hmm. In fact, the first sort of let's see how much of the Pride Month uh, agenda items we can push through the military mm. took sort of its first breath under the Obama administration. But remember, a lot of people see this as Obama 2.0. Mm. This is, after all, Obama's vice president, our current president. But I think many of us, the minute that he was sworn into office with the executive order expanding anti-discrimination law to include sexual orientation and gender identity, we knew all of the federal agencies were swept up and we knew the military was not going to be immune from this. So we have seen iterations, but never this extreme.
0: Mm, Wow. Well, Sarah, I think when when you look at this and you look at the amendments and this Fight. I mean, are are there any amendments that should be included
2: in this bill? Well, I will. I will tell you what the um, the particular riders preventing the funding of abortion related travel and any abortion related services absolutely have to stay in. These Mm -hmm. are in direct violation of longstanding, what's called Hyde. So the Hyde Amendment was passed to make sure that any of our federal tax dollars do not go through funding abortion-related services. It was upheld by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has routinely upheld these particular restrictions. We should not be forced to fund someone's elective abortion. Mm -hmm. So the fact that there are riders in this particular NDAA House version going to the Senate, those should be no-brainers. Yep. It's in violation of federal law to fund them in the NDAA. And this is what Senator Tuberville doing right now. That's why he's held the line in these nominations. He's saying... This isn't a violation of, of federal law. You guys have to do your duty and follow federal law first. It's
0: common sense. Completely yeah. Completely common sense. Well, we are going to get a little bit further into the prevention of government overreach and why it's so important in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you all about one of my favorite ways to get the news and keep up with issues that I care about. So if you're anything like me, you probably enjoy going on YouTube and just finding interesting videos, entertaining videos, hopefully some educational videos. But sometimes it's really hard to know what information is well-researched and is actually trustworthy. And that's where the Daily Signal YouTube channel comes in. We're constantly posting new videos that are designed to keep you up to date on the news that you care about and that really give you the facts succinctly. The Daily Signal YouTube channel features policy explainer videos, documentaries, entertaining clips from podcast interviews, and so, so much more. So go ahead and subscribe to the Daily Signal YouTube channel today so that you stay informed and never miss out on the news that matters most. All right, so the extended hand of the government. Sometimes it feels like we just cannot get away from that thing. (laughs) It's all over. It's pushing for abortion in the NDAA. And it's also now pushing to eliminate religious exemptions for school vaccine requirements in the state of Massachusetts, my home state of Massachusetts. Whew, we have fallen so far from you know the Boston Tea Party to today, where the state is literally this week, the state legislature is considering bills that will either remove or greatly restrict religious exemptions. For vaccines for k-12 grade students and this would both be in public and Private schools. So, in Massachusetts, there are a list of common vaccines that are required for kids to go to school, um, such as Hib, Tdap, polio, hepatitis. There's a whole list, and usually, parents can apply for religious exemptions if they say because of their faith that they're not comfortable with their child receiving certain uh, certain ones of these vaccines. And for decades, Massachusetts law has allowed parents to do that, to apply for these religious exemptions. Now, Massachusetts is considering a bill that would either entirely eliminate the exemption altogether or would require all exemption requests to go through the Massachusetts Department of Public Health, which keep in mind that department is under the office of the governor in Massachusetts, which the governor is is extremely left. So I'm curious to get y'all's Thoughts on just, I mean, how did we get here in the state of Massachusetts, where <laughs> you know where it really all began, right? I mean, the shot heard round the world, and right. you know, the the rumblings of of the Revolutionary War. It, it started in Massachusetts, and the Pilgrims, and and now they're considering telling parents, um, no, if if your child uh, wants to go to school and have an education. They have to get this long list of vaccines, even if it's in contradiction with your faith.
2: Well, they've clearly learned nothing from the covid pandemic because (laughs) uh, the Supreme Court on multiple challenges to religious exemptions routinely upheld religion as a permissible basis on which to say. I need to exempt from this particular uh, procedure or this particular requirement, wholly constitutional and appropriate. What we've got here is sort of two battling issues. So we've got a parent's right to make the appropriate decisions for the health, uh, welfare and upbringing of their own children, under which vaccines naturally fall. And we've got the state's interest in also protecting the public health of its citizens. But above both of those issues is the preeminent constitutional principle of religious liberty. And time and time again, the Supreme Court has said, we just saw this play out in real time with COVID, that religious liberty even in times of a health care pandemic, and that was when COVID was rampant, must be protected. No law is immune from the protections of the First Amendment. So it's very likely that upon a challenge, let, let's assume that this bill is passed and that the governor signs it, this will probably fall under a First Amendment challenge.
0: OK, wow. Well, I mean, that's good to hear. It's like, OK, if, if this is challenged, which it definitely will be uh, if it does pass, that this is something that we could see the Supreme Court weigh in on, at least higher courts weigh in on. And it's really important to mention with this bill as well that um, some of these bills being considered would allow for minors to receive vaccines without parental consent. So let's say a student goes to school and they say, hey, you know, my mom wasn't comfortable with me receiving the hepatitis B vaccine. Right then, you know, that kid, whether they're in fifth grade or 12th grade, doesn't matter. The school would say, "Okay, great. We'll get that for you. The parent would never know.
2: Yeah. Once again, unconstitutional. Um, (laughs) I I give you just a personal anecdote. My 14 year old son cannot take two Tylenol for a headache at school Mm. without my getting a phone call from the nurse's office saying, do I have permission to administer this you know, sort of commonsensical, very low-risk medication to your son. Vaccinating a child without parental consent is a major 14th Amendment violation, right? So all the way back in 1923, in a case called Meyer versus Nebraska, the Supreme Court recognized that fundamental liberty interest in parenting one's own kids. So we've recognized that for over 100 years. As recently as the year 2000, the Supreme Court said, this is probably the The oldest right we've ever recognized. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a natural right. You have children. The universe is ordered in such a way, and our republic recognizes that you can parent that child as you see fit until they are 18 years old. There are some legitimate religious uh, expressions and concerns that people have, and then there are some health care concerns that people have. For the adults who are in custody of that minor child, their wishes have to to be respected, unless the state believes that there is a particular experimental or dangerous treatment that is going to essentially put that child at risk, and we've seen this these battling claims in some of these um, gender quote affirming care bans for minors under the age of eighteen. Mm-hmm. Yes, a parent has a right, but that right ends where the state says, "Listen, these are not proven. These are risky. These are lifelong. We want to make sure that this child can make an appropriate decision. So, yes, you have that parent's right, but we also have a right to protect our minor, vulnerable children. So, we're going to see more of these issues crop up, but because here there's an overarching First Amendment religious liberty principle, it seems pretty clear to me that this is not going to stand long.
0: Well, I want to give a shout out to Massachusetts Family Institute. They've really been on the forefront of this, they're a public policy organization. Uh, just outside of Boston, and I was speaking earlier this week uh, with Sam Whiting, their staff lawyer, and um, they said no one should be forced to violate their sincere religious beliefs in order to send their kids to school. I mean, that is just so basic; it's so foundational. Yeah. And Sarah, like you said, I I think it's pretty. It's so evident. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I know it's so evident that this is constitutionally this is a violation of first amendment rights. absolutely so we're gonna be watching this closely as it is considered in the state of massachusetts but speaking of the government infringing on the rights of parents doesn't end and what we have seen over and over and over across the country really starting recently this has been such a wild new phenomenon but is this push of transgender ideology on young people and specifically on people in schools and so The government, through public education, they have been working this indoctrination and this ideology into the classroom of really causing kids to question, are you a boy or are you a girl? Just because your mom says you're a girl or just because your mom says you're a boy, are you really? So confusing for a child. And this is something that Health Admiral Rachel Levine has weighed in on. Quite a lot. So Rachel <laughs> Levine is a man who identifies as a woman. Rachel Levine uh, transitioned as an adult from "quote unquote" transitioned from being a man to presenting. As a woman, claiming to be a woman. Right. And recently the Le- Levine did an interview and was asked, well, why not just let kids go through puberty? This was not said, but essentially like you did. Right. And then let them decide after their brains more developed, after uh, that really important developmental time in puberty where we know that so many young people who struggle with their gender identity, once they go through puberty, that's right. that gets resolved. Right. So Rachel Levine was asked, why not just allow that to happen? And then, you know, when a child is 18, 19, when a young person is that age, then they can make that decision. Well, this is how Rachel Levine responded. Let's take a listen.
1: What would you say to folks who think that they're being reasonable by saying, why can't children just wait till they're 18?
2: The adolescence is hard and puberty is hard. What if you're going through the wrong puberty? What if you inside feel that you are female, but now you're going through a male puberty? So,
0: Sarah, what what if you feel before puberty that you are the opposite gender? What then? Shouldn't we just let a child transition? Because they feel... That they are the opposite gender.
2: Yeah, so there's no such thing as wrong puberty because that presupposes you're born in the wrong body, and we <laughs> know that's not the case. Now, if an individual feels gender dysphoric, Let's take the European approach. Europe follows an evidence-based approach. They use therapy first. They take a waitful, sort of watchful waiting approach. And they use systematic reviews of the evidence to make sure that it's solid. What they've determined is, guess what? The evidence is not solid. You can't shoehorn these kids into gender, quote, affirming procedures at a minor age, because then you're going to see what the Tavistock Clinic did, which is a flood of medical malpractice lawsuits, and I believe in my heart of hearts, we will eventually see that. But the man in the dress telling us that children (laughs) should have access to cross-sex hormones and the sort of affirming surgeries that are involved, which are, of course, barbaric, if you know anything about them, uh, presupposes a fallacy that he wants the rest of us to believe.
1: It's crazy to me that the explanation that he gives is it's hard. Like, stop complaining. You are literally... One of the top people in the Department of Defense. And you're saying it's hard. Going back to the NDAA conversation, is that really who's leading the mightiest army and navy and, you know, so on all of our branches are great. But is that really the the battle cry that we want to have that we're sending and showing Russia, China, North Korea, Iran? Like, are you kidding me? Uh, I, I just... That's not an argument. <laughs> also, I, I want to question, has he even undergone the surgery, Rachel? Like, has he done that? Or is he still, you know, biologically a male, like you said, wearing a dress? Like, I have no idea. And I think that that just speaks volumes once again. Um, Democrats are always going after the person, not the policy. Right? It's so messed up. And these are permanent, life-changing, life costing, in some cases, surgeries that he's pushing in the name of acceptance and, and flowery language? Like, give me a break.
2: Well, this administration has sort of taken a pair of sacred cows, abortion and, quote, gender affirming care. And they have built an entire platform for the next re-election and for the entire administration on those two precise issues. I do think In the end, it's going to come back to bite them. And I'm going to tell you why. The minute you involve children in this debate, you've activated the sort of suburban mothers (laughs) who a lot of people said were precisely the contingent that did not get involved or did not vote necessarily Mm -hmm. for the best candidate in the previous election. You've just woken them up because what you've done is you've shoehorned biological boys into girls sports. You have now instituted gender ideology energy porn, literally porn, in public school libraries that can't even be read at open school board meetings because it is so pornographic. And you've essentially woken the sleeping giant. I am encouraged because I see conservatives for the first time going, wow, there is a lot on the line. The stakes in this particular case are exceptionally high. And I think as aggressive as this administration has been on gender ideology, it's going to ultimately come back to bite them in the end.
0: Yeah, Shout out to Moms for Liberty. If you yeah. want to be yeah. one of those mama bears on the front lines. But, Sarah, thank you for joining us today. This has been so fun. Always love having you on the show. Always
2: yeah. great, you guys. Love to do it. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, stay tuned because up next, we have a hot take for you today. Five days a week, two episode formats, one mission. To deliver the news you care about and analysis on the biggest issues facing America. The Daily Signal podcast brings you two episodes every day in the same podcast feed. Each morning, catch interviews with policymakers, leading experts, and conservative activists as we discuss some of the greatest challenges facing our country and offer solutions for a brighter future. And every weekday at 5 p.m., we bring you the top news of the day. These are the headlines you care about. Subscribe to The Daily Signal podcast wherever you get your podcasts you never miss out on our morning interviews or evening news
1: so many of you have probably traveled in an airport in the last few months and if you are in dc you probably have dealt with dca which honestly is a hot mess dumpster fire sometimes (laughs) um but we do have some hope here It sounds like later this week we will have a vote on the FAA reauthorization bill. Now, this bill, just for some context, was originally created to kind of build up the Dulles Airport. We had you know, DCA, but then they created Dulles and they really wanted to drive traffic there. And they did that by limiting how far flights could travel out of DCAA. They put a cap of 1,300 miles. Now, you know, it's been about 60 years since the original FAA bill was introduced and what they are trying to do is basically add seven flights to the DCA airport and so that's one flight per carrier so American, Delta, uh, Frontier, Alaska all of them will get a flight but you know for those of you who are probably like this this is great this is going to be awesome you know there's one more flight like if if I need to go somewhere at a certain time this is going to add more flexibility well just kidding Representatives from the DMV area, uh, their Senators Mark Warner and Tim Kaine, actually told Punchbowl that they were against this amendment, saying that the airport already experiences serious delays, which absolutely is totally a fact. I have sat Mm -hmm. in DCA for one hour, like, at the shortest and 10 to 12 at the longest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But they also expressed some serious concerns over noise complaints, which, I mean, Virginia, we both live in northern Virginia. Yeah, I've definitely experienced it and gotten pissed off at, you know, like 10 at night or 11 at night when an airplane's going over my house. Yeah, you're like, "Wait a <laughs> second. What
0: are they doing at this hour?" Yeah,
1: but like the big thing here is that American, Alaska, and I think originally united although they might have stepped back, had some major issues with this because of just, you know, good intention bill that would, you know, jeopardize competition at DCAA or DCA. But I think that the real big thing here is the impacts that it will have on flights, and so it'll be exciting to see whether or not this bill is passed. If we get seven more flights at DCA, but uh, what what do you think? Have you had any crazy experiences in the airport lately? Oh my goodness, <laughs> I, we all
0: have. And I mean, my hot take on this is just add more staff. Yeah. What what are you doing trying to add more more flights? What the airlines need right now is more bodies. Mm-hmm. They need more flight attendants. They need more pilots. And they need to be probably treating those individuals better, not making them do things like get the COVID-19 vaccine yeah. in order to have a job. You know, the so many of the issues right now are staffing. Mm-hmm. And I think that they are focused on the wrong thing. So I have my expectations for flights and airlines has definitely shifted. I had a flight for July 4th and it was Delayed only an hour, and I was like, Oh, this is amazing! It's only delayed an hour. Thank wow,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and
0: it's like that, that probably shouldn't be the standard where we're like, Oh, that's a major win to only be delayed an hour, but right now that is the major win. And you have airlines that used to be great, like, here we go, another hot take. Uh, JetBlue, maybe mm. this, this isn't even a hot take. Maybe everyone agrees right now. But JetBlue and Southwest used to be great. Southwest used to be the industry standard. Southwest. They're pretty much at the bottom of the barrel now. Yeah. Um, same with JetBlue. I do not trust them anymore. I've mm-hmm. had horrible experiences with them. And Delta, they
1: are number one. Yeah. By far. I mean, I have a won. Delta card, so like I'm pretty proud of that. Like, <laughs> you maybe should. Maybe the competitive side of me. but <laughs> Like I win. I have the yes, best. But... Yeah,
0: but I mean, it's it's really insane right now.
1: Yeah. And to your point, I just traveled to West Palm Beach last week and it was an hour delay to start. But then, you know, it had been a minute since I'd been on Southwest and I forgot about their process of, you know, A through C. I just totally forgot about it. Um, and I walked up with the person I was traveling with like ready to check in because we had run to get there after you know this conference and the way that they treated me because I was in in group B not A I was like wow <laughs> Cool. What Customer service isn't a thing anymore. Citizen. Like, right. I'm in group B. I must be terrible. <laughs> so. Uh, well, I'm going to post
0: this on um, on Instagram. I'm going to get y'all's take on where things stand on airlines and what you think is the best and worst airline. I would love oh. to know what y'all's take is.
1: But with that, that is going to do it for today's episode of Problem Out of Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. As conservatives, we need your support in the podcast world. So go ahead, leave us
0: a rating and review wherever you like to listen to podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever
1: you like to listen. Have a great week, guys. Make sure to check us out on Instagram. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation.
0: It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow problematic women on Instagram.
1: We produce problematic women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.